0: I, I don't want to move forward just yet, but if you could just join us still as we continue to talk to our Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we are so thankful that we're able to come and sing to you and praise you and glorify you and say that you are wonderful. You are amazing. Lord, you have made a place here in this church and in our lives, you made it possible so that we could go to you and know that you fully love us. You, you, we shouldn't feel shamed to go to you. We should go boldly and give you our pains and our struggles. You are a good father. Be with us throughout the remainder of this service, Lord. We thank you for bringing us here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Uh, Thank you all for coming. Thank you for those who have joined us online. Um, God has been good to encounter church. And we are blessed to have you join us, whether you're here in person, whether you're connecting online, whatever the case may be. uh, We are blessed to have you. Today, uh, I want you to put on your seatbelt. We are going to look at the Bible Like, what is the Bible? And we're also going to look at prayer. These two things are the most essential tenets of Christianity. Uh, And I I want to present some insight about them by God's power, God's grace. Um, I might push some buttons while I'm presenting things about the Bible and about prayer. But I want to be clear on something. So, if you do have your Bible... Um, we, we believe that the Bible is God's Word, and today we will be going to Luke 11. Uh, you will be able to see it up on the screen, too. Luke eleven one through 4. Um, I'll be reading from the NIV, which is one of the many versions. There's a whole bunch of versions of the Bible, different translations, and the NIV is just one of them. It's the New International Version, and it's important to note that I am reading from the NIV since... Different versions of the Bible, they they have different readings, especially if we read the King James Version. So so Luke 11 1 through 4, it's a book that we've been looking at. It's a book within the Bible. The Bible's full of different books. And in this particular book, it talks about Jesus being the Son of God that he is bringing freedom to the captives, that he is preaching good news to the poor, that he is healing all those who are sick. And remember that this book in particular, it was written by a person, by Luke, and that's why we call the book Luke, and it was Christian curriculum. It's supposed to help this person that we read in the very beginning named Theophilus. And Theophilus, he had some understanding of Christianity, probably, and and he probably learned some stuff about prayer. But Luke is trying to help him understand more about prayer. And that's probably why Luke included this story that we are about to read. So Luke 11, 1 through 4, it is up on the screen. And it goes like this. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples, disciples are his followers, his students. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And then Jesus says in verse 2, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. The disciples had been impressed by the prayer life that Jesus had. And they had heard how Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, how he had taught his disciples how to pray. If you ask God, if you ask Jesus what you want to learn, He will give you, you will receive. Jesus began to teach them how to pray. He began by saying, Say. He didn't say, Oh, you first need to get your life all together. He didn't say that you need to turn off the lights of the church building. Or that the worship team needs to be playing and I must say the worship team has been doing a wonderful job. And even the media team with Jonathan, you guys have been doing great. But he didn't say anything of those things need to be present in order to pray. You don't need to have a good day to pray. Or spend several minutes in the altar up here shouting in order to pray. And I am not saying that any of these things are bad. These things may help. But Jesus just said... Say, you can say this prayer, and if you do, you will be learning how to pray according to what Jesus taught. What are we supposed to say? Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation." This sounds familiar, but it's also a little bit different from how we know the Lord's Prayer, or some people call it the Our Father. But this Lord's Prayer that we just read, it is different from how we learned it. We probably pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us don't let us fall into temptation but deliver us from evil amen we probably pray that prayer and it's a bit different from the prayer that we just read in Luke well the reason why these two prayers are different is that Luke has one prayer and Matthew he's another person who also wrote about the life of Jesus he had a different prayer. The prayer from the gospel from the other book from Matthew is probably the one that we learned. And you could see up here on the screen, it's very small to see, but Matthew has the way that we learned it, and Luke has on the right the way that the one that we just read. The prayers are slightly different. There are differences. And there are several explanations why they are different uh, between why there are differences between the two gospels. One is that there are two different times when Jesus taught how people ought to pray. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus taught about prayer during the Sermon on the Mount. But in Luke's gospel, Jesus taught about prayer after the disciples asked him. Another possibility is that the authors Luke and Matthew took liberty in their translations and summaries. To be honest, the authors of the Bible probably summarized much of the speeches. And the authors, they have liberty to summarize however they want. And something else to note is that Jesus probably spoke in Aramaic. And the authors wrote in Greek. So in translation, the authors have some liberty in translating things a certain way. So, we get why Matthew and Luke have different renditions. It could be that... There are different prayers at different times. The Sermon on the Mount with Matthew and answering the disciples to different prayers because they're different situations. And it could also be due to summarizing the prayer and the nature of translation. But things get kind of weird when we look at the same passage in Luke. But we look at it in different versions and it says different things. So we have different versions. There's a whole bunch, hundreds of different translations of the Bible. We have the King James. We have the NIV, the ESV. They're just different translations. And we could see up here that on one side, it's the King James Version and the NIV on the other side. And within the King James Version of Luke, uh, it looks... Like, you could see, it says, Our Father, which art in heaven, it's hard to see, the second verse, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. Whereas the NIV doesn't include that. The King James does, the NIV doesn't. So why are there two different readings for the same passage? Why does the NIV, the New International Version, and other translations, have a different rendering, a different reading from the King James Version. The answer is not malicious. We shouldn't be cynical. The answer is not because modern translators are evil and want to distort God's words. They want to take away words from the Bible. No, that's, that's not why. The answer is more technical and even a bit academic. The answer revolves around something I'm a I'm a geek about. It revolves around something we call textual criticism. Who, and you don't have to answer, but think about this. Who here knew, and you could answer in your mind, that we don't have the original writings that the Bible authors wrote. We don't have the actual scroll that Luke wrote on and gave to Theophilus. But what we do have are copies We call these copies manuscripts, and we have thousands of them. There's actually this website called the Center of the Study of New Testament Manuscripts, or the CSNTM for short. You can digitally see the manuscripts on their website. Here's one of the earliest manuscripts. It's one of the earliest copies. This is from the book of John. It contains John 18, 26 to 19.1. And through carbon dating, through some science, scholars have determined that this papyri document is from the 100s. Just a few years after John wrote his gospel. It's kind of neat that we live in a world where we can access these manuscripts via the web. It's currently located in Oxford, England. Um, I would love to see it in person, but it's still cool that we could see this copy, see a good photo of it online. It's neat that we have copies that reach all the way back to the second century. The papyri, the the type of paper that they used, um, that the scribes used, was commonly used back then. We have lost much data from then since, as you could see, the paper would not have been properly preserved... Uh, But thankfully, God has preserved important copies. Concerning our text, what manuscripts do we have? The most important one is this one that we could see up here. Um, It it is the P75. It's papyrus. That's why we call it P, and it's the 75th one. It's pretty close to the date of composition. This copy comes from the 3rd century. So here are some things to note from it, uh, from this copy As you can see up here, uh, the number one says pater in Greek. Number one right there, it's written in Greek. Which sounds like the Spanish way of saying dad, padre. Um, The earliest manuscripts don't include in the book of Luke our father. It just says pater. Thus, the NIV and other manuscripts just have father. Father. Instead of our Father. Second, immediately after saying, your kingdom come, the Greek goes on to say, give us our daily bread. That's the second point over there. Tone our tone. And the third point, um, with the second point, usually in Matthew's version, before going to tone our tone, there's um, your, your kingdom come, your will be done. But it goes immediately to talking about the bread And third, after saying forgive us our sins, it immediately goes for we also forgive instead of as we forgive. It's kind of hard to read this stuff. Um, There are no spaces and everything is capitalized. But I I just find this fascinating. Here's another example. This is a century later, the 4th century, so in the 300s. And same idea. Pater in the very top. Father, not our Father. Immediately going to our daily bread instead of saying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And for we also forgive instead of we forgive, as we forgive. So a hundred years passed between the copy that, this copy and the copy that we just saw. And the text remained the same. This should give us confidence in the copying skills that the human scribes had. Most of the scribes, they were monks who spent their time in monasteries just making these copies. And we are indebted to them. And we should be thankful. Because without them, who knows what copies we would have. But let's remember this. Despite how smart these scribes were, they were still human. As you could see in the blue, I circled it in the blue. The scribe had forgotten to add toe. Um, in the text. So he added it at the top. Um, toe is the neutral definite article. We would translate it as the. So the scribe. As he was copying. The, from other copies. Forgot to write toe down at first. And then added it later. When he realized he had forgotten it. I'm sure it's happened to us. We write something. And forget to add something. Thank God for erasers. And backspace. But back in the day. They didn't have such things. But let's fast forward all the way to the 10th century. In this copy of the same passage, it says pater in the very top, but then it also says hamon. It doesn't say just father, it says pater hamon, which means our father. So there is this addition in the 10th century. And the manuscripts also added which means your will be done. So the 3rd century manuscript did not have this but older 10th century manuscripts did. And uh, I find this important because you see different versions and you see different translations and they all connect and some people may say oh we don't have the actual writings but we have pretty good manuscripts. So I couldn't fit the third point, but this is fine. This next slide compares both of them, right? So the third century, which is closer to the original writing, and the 10th century, which is hundreds of years after the composition. But you might ask, why are there errors? Or why are there variants, rather? Why are in these copies, why are there in this one, why is it that Hamon is added, our father is added, instead of just father? Well, Transition and copying, the transmission of scripture, it's a human task. And humans err without the Holy Spirit power. The Holy Spirit was present when the authors originally wrote this. But the scribes, they were copying and and they didn't have the, the same power of inerrancy that the early writers did. So they messed up. And what probably happened was that sometime between the 3rd century, well, we also saw the 4th century and the 10th century, a scribe inserted the other parts, the Our Father part and Your Will Be Done part. He probably inserted it because he had remembered the prayer of Matthew and he saw it and he, he just remembered it and he just added Hamon by accident because that's how he memorized the prayer. In Matthew, the earliest manuscripts do include our father. Maybe the scribe wanted to harmonize, he wanted to just make it go together. We can't be 100% sure why the scribes did it. We can't go into the mind of the scribe, but we can speculate. We can think of why the scribes do it. So, anyways, the King James Version includes the our father. And the one, the, thy will be done. Because when the scholars translated the King James Version, they used the manuscripts that were available and known to them. And the ones that they had discovered only had our Father. But the New International Version and other modern manuscripts do not include all these insertions. Because since the time of the King James versions, since the 1600s, there have been discoveries of other manuscripts closer to the original documents. And modern translators, committees of these Bible translations, they look at all these copies and recognize what text is closer to what the original authors wrote. All that to say, this is why I prefer the NIV reading of the text Over the King James Version. I still like the King James. It can be beautiful at times. But it does fail to recognize the historical discoveries we have made in the area of biblical manuscripts. Each time I come up here, I do my research. If you were to ask me what version I read and study, I would say the Greek version, version. The original languages. I also look at the footnotes like why this reading over another reading is better. I look at the critical apparatus, which is on the right. It tells me why we have the chosen reading. And in verse 2, the apparatus tells me that the manuscripts, manuscripts that do read our father, but then it explains why we have the text that doesn't include our father. The papyrus 75 is a big deal. It's pretty close to the original writings. And we could see this is complicated stuff. Uh, you might think that you, you, you might now think that you need to have a degree in the Greek in order to know what the Bible says. But I wouldn't say so. We have been blessed by God to have tremendous scholars, people who have done their due diligence, who have diligently worked to produce the versions we have now. I look at the Greek, I look at the NIV, and I feel confident to preach God's word to you. And I believe that you are hearing God's word. So you don't need to know how to read Greek to know God's word. The Bible you read is the best Bible, even if it is the King James Version. I think it's right now the main thing that we should do is focus on reading God's word, whatever it is. I am confident that whenever you pick up any translation, you are reading the word of God. And that is the most important thing that we do, that we can do right now, start reading the Bible. And I actually encourage you to read more than just one version. So anyways, so we are confident that the rendering, the NIV version that we read is what Luke wrote because the early manuscript was closer and it doesn't include our father. Now that we had a small workshop on the Bible and textual criticism, we'll have... A small group in class about it more and you guys could ask questions about it and things like that. And the class would also involve how to read the Bible for all it's worth. During the summer, hopefully we have something like that where it's more interactive. Um, but now that we are done with the Bible, main thing, confidence. There's, there's a process of translation process that how we get this Bible, but it, it's trustworthy. But now that we've done that, Let's see Jesus' workshop on prayer. What did he teach about prayer? Jesus was asked by his disciples how to pray. There are a lot of definitions for prayer. But I think this one is pretty good. I heard it from a pastor when I was going to Bible college. Back in CLC, he said... Uh, His name is Eli Lopez. He said, prayer is the channel that God has created for people to talk with him. I like that. God made prayer, and now we can talk to him. We should not take it for granted that we can pray. that That God has made a way so that we could communicate with him. And we need prayer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the pa- a pastor who lived during Nazi Germany and stood up for the Jews, he said, prayer is the natural need of the human heart. And he also said that prayer is childlike communication to our Heavenly Father. This brings humility. We are children. We need our Heavenly Father. And prayer is just asking him what we need. And it's okay to ask him. So the disciples saw Jesus and wanted to know about prayer. They they wanted to know how Jesus had such good communication with the Father. As Luke presents throughout his writings, prayer is central to Jesus' life. So the disciples asked, and it's incredible to see that the disciples had the opportunity to ask the Son of God how to pray. It's quite amazing that we, thousands of years later, are blessed to get the answer. And to be honest, only through Jesus can we connect with the Father. So thank God the disciples asked. Jesus answered them, answered the disciples, answered the question about how to pray. And he said, when you pray, say. I really like what N.T. Wright said. He's probably one of the most prominent scholars, smart people of the Bible, of our time. And and he said in his book, and I I think this is going to challenge us a bit, and it's okay to be challenged if, if it has the potential to make us better. He said this on prayer. When Jesus' followers asked them to teach them to pray, he didn't tell them, to divide into focus groups and look, look deep within their own hearts. He didn't begin by getting them to think slowly through their life experiences, to discover what types of personalities each of them had, to spend time getting in touch with their buried feelings. He and the disciples both understood the question they had asked. They wanted and needed a form of words Which they could learn and use. I think some of us may fear saying the Lord's Prayer. And seeing it as a form of prayer. Maybe it's a response to religiosity and ritualism. That we had experienced when we were younger. Or maybe our parents' ritualism. We, We feel that maybe saying this prayer is all ritual but no heart. Yet, Jesus believed that saying this prayer was an excellent way to pray. Let me push a little bit more. According to Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said this, Jesus told his disciples not only how they should pray, but what they should pray. The Lord's prayer is not an example for the prayer of the disciples, Rather, it is what should be prayed as Jesus taught them. Wow. I just find this fascinating because this kind of goes contrary to some stuff I've heard. Sadly, some of us have gone to the extreme by thinking that if it's not our words in the prayer, then the prayer is not genuine. But man... Jesus and the early Christians didn't think that was the case. In one of the earliest Christian writings, maybe, maybe this writing was written probably before the first century ended. It's called the Didact, the teachings. It taught that Christians were supposed to say this prayer three times every day. I am not saying that we need to be legalistic and pray the Lord's Prayer three times every day. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that the early Christians thought it was okay to pray the Lord's Prayer in the exact form that Jesus presented it. And Jesus, as a Jew, probably prayed, set up prayers as well. Within Judaism, it was a prevalent practice, and it still is, to pray the Psalms. They would just open up the book of Psalms and pray the Psalms. And even if we look at the Greek of this text in Luke, one scholar said, the words when when" or whoever, hotan, the Greek hotan, whenever you pray or when you pray, imply frequent repetition of the actual prayer. It's good to pray the Lord's Prayer. I typically pray the Lord's Prayer twice a day. And I'll share towards the end how I usually pray daily. Once I wake up, and before I go to sleep, I pray the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is actually one of the first things I remember my mom teaching me. I remember living on South Church Street, and before I would go to sleep, my mom would go next to my bed, and we would pray el Padre Nuestro, the Spanish form of the Lord's Prayer. And that helped me significantly. What Jesus taught on prayer is is fantastic. It actually works. You do learn how to pray by following what Jesus teaches us. But it's hard to talk about. It might be hard to think of the Lord's Prayer as a form that we can pray word for word. One of the reasons is that many of us... Grew up in a tradition that teaches that you need to be emotional for it to be real. That you need to shout for it to be real. That you need to stand for it to be real. That you need someone holy to lay his hands on you. That you need some anointed music to pray properly. Jesus didn't say you needed music playing. Jesus didn't say that you needed to stand. All he said. When you pray, say. Look, I'm not against good music. I'm all for it. And we all have different personalities and all of these things could help. Maybe sitting down. You don't pray. You you don't pay attention to your prayer. So get up. But the issue occurs when we say that we all need to do these things in order to pray effectively. And then when we do this, we eclipse what Jesus actually said. Imagine if I got up and taught in one of these hyper hyper energy places and taught about prayer. As Jesus taught about prayer. People might look at me and think I'm low energy or spiritually dead. But all I'm saying is what Jesus taught. When you pray, say. I'm not trying to disparage other churches. We need to be united. But I do want to make sure that we are clear on what Jesus taught on prayer. Rather than putting our presuppositions, what we think is right first, we should look at what Jesus said. And look, I am not saying that we all pray the same. We all have different personalities. Even churches have different cultures. And sometimes even within Encounter Church, we might have music playing here, an altar call, people come up to respond to the message of some sort when COVID stuff is lessened. And it's not bad, though it can be if we say that's the only way you could pray. Wright said, it's of course true that different people will find different patterns and pathways helpful. And there are plenty of teachers who can point out the way forward for particular people in particular situations. I actually encourage you to find biblical teachers who can help you pray better. Feel free to look them up. There are times that we need to hear from somebody who can speak our language, especially in times of emotional distress. But at the same time, I think the best way to pray It's to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. To say this prayer. But reciting this prayer may feel wrong. Why is that? Believe it or not, part of the reason is that culturally we've been influenced by these movements called romanticism and existentialism. And we, we think, we now believe that for something to be real, we need to make it ours. We need to feel for it, we need to feel for it to be authentic. But that kind of creates unnecessary anxiety. The early Christians and Jews didn't feel that way. And when you begin to think of it, it is a kind of weird way of thinking. And he right, he, he said: part of the difficulty with prayer is that we moderns are so anxious. To do things our own way. So concerned that if we get help from anyone else, our prayer won't be authentic. And come from our own heart. That we are instantly suspicious about using anyone else's prayer. I am sure we can relate to this. And I think it's part of our individualistic culture. We want to do it our way, our own way. N.T. Wright continued, we are like someone who doesn't feel she's properly dressed unless she has personally designed and made all her own clothes. Or like someone who feels it's artificial to drive a car he hasn't built all by himself. Ouch. Imagine if we thought that someone wasn't dressed properly because she used designer clothes that somebody else had picked. Imagine if we thought that a guy wasn't really driving since he hadn't built the car himself. It's ridiculous to think that. Yet, we think that about somebody using somebody else's prayer. We think we aren't actually praying until we form every word, every time, ourselves. And it's ludicrous. It's fine to pray the prayer that Jesus taught It's fine to pray this one that we saw in Luke or the one that Matthew presents. It's fine to get on your knees and say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. It's totally fine to do this. Actually, it's more than fine. If you pray this, you are doing great. You are following the teachings of Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't say how to exactly say this. There's liberty. He doesn't say how many times you have to say it, or how slow, or how fast you have to say it. Unfortunately, the church has experienced different modes. Some people pray the Lord's Prayer over and over and over until the prayer becomes one with their soul. Others use it to start off their prayers. They say the Lord's Prayer and then they pray about other stuff. I usually say the Lord's Prayer somewhere in the middle of my prayers. It helps me gather my thoughts into words. And then there's others who pray the prayer very slowly. They say, Father. And then they breathe. Hallowed be your name. In each word they're thinking through what they're praying. But within any form, I do not want you to get the idea that our minds are elsewhere while we are saying this. No, our minds need to be present. As I was preparing for this message, I looked at what Teresa de Avila, or Teresa of Avila, had to say. She was a Christian who was known for her prayers, she was a Catholic nun who wanted to reform the Catholic Church back in the 1500s. While she was Catholic, Teresa was admired by Protestants, especially in Lutheran and Ag- Anglican circles. Teresa saw the corruption that was taking place back then. The selling of indulgences that you had to pay to get to heaven. And the immorality of the priesthood. And who knows what would have happened if Martin Luther didn't arise but if renewal took place within the Catholic Church through Teresa and her friar uh, John of the Cross. I like reading her works because she was from Spain and wrote in Spanish. I like reading works in the original languages, and it's neat to see how languages developed. Her writings are are an integral part of Spanish Renaissance literature, and she was known for prayer. She was part of Spanish Christian mysticism. You might hear this word mysticism, might think about mystics like maybe of witch stuff and things like that. But that is not what is meant here. Spanish Christian mystics believed that they could experience God. A lot of the people back then thought, you know, that was impossible. But Spanish mystics believed that they could experience God through careful direction, through prayer. Teresa was known for her metaphors of watering a garden and walking through the rooms of a castle to explain how meditation leads to union with God. I haven't had a chance to read all of her writings. She was super prolific. She wrote a whole bunch. But I found her teachings on mental prayers to be insightful. Sometimes we pray in our mind or elsewhere. Who knows where they're at we we shout we blabber but our mind is who knows where when we pray our minds should be engaged with the prayer in fact Teresa taught that even before praying our mind needs to recognize who we are speaking to sometimes we pray and we act nonchalant about it but when we pray, we are speaking to God Almighty, the one who created everything, the one who loves us, the one who saved us. When we pray, our hearts and our minds need to be aware of this. How it, And she said this quote, which is quite important. Mental prayer is understanding the truths you pray. Don't be speaking with God and thinking about other things. However you pray, the Lord's Prayer. However you pray at all, make sure your mind is present with the prayer. When somebody talks to you and their mind is elsewhere, you you could tell. And you don't like it. It is somewhat disrespectful. Disrespectful. It is disrespectful when someone comes to you and asks you how you're doing, but you could tell that his or her mind is somewhere else. Similarly, it's not right to have our minds somewhere else when we're praying to God. Look at the actual prayer, and we're going to start. It won't take too long to go through it, but I do want to spend the time with each saying. N.T. Wright wrote on this prayer and said, and said this parable, or this saying about Jesus' parable, Jesus' prayers. So like Jesus' parables, the prayer is small in scale, but huge in coverage. Last week, we talked about a parable that Jesus taught. The parable of the soil, or the sower. It was simple. It was about a seed falling into different spots. But it was also complex. The more you think about it, the more you realize that there is a lot to learn. And this prayer is the same. The more you pray and pray it, the more you think about it, you realize that there's a lot that we can learn from this one prayer that Jesus taught. Through this one prayer, people have had their hearts consider things that they had never considered before. Some people have felt that saying this prayer slowly and over and over, they feel that they fell into the love and presence of God, into the place where heaven and earth meet, into the power of the gospel to bring bread and forgiveness and rescue. This prayer requires mental activity. With the first word of this prayer, Father, we need to think about who we are addressing. Who is this person that we call Father? Father, We're referring to God. I know that we might struggle with the word dad, especially if you've had a distant dad. If you had a distant dad, I hope that as a church and through God's love, we can, to a degree, reparent you, that you could recognize the love of your heavenly father and recognize that calling God father is not saying that he's distant or far away, but calling him father is saying that he is close. It's kind of crazy to think that we could call the creator of heavens and of the heavens and the earth, that we could call him Father. Like, who are we to call him Father? To assert that we have a close sense of relationship with him. But this is precisely what Jesus told us to say. Through this prayer, Jesus invited us. Us invited his disciples to begin to look at God as Father and see themselves as God's children. God is Father. Together, as disciples of Jesus, we can confidently call upon God as Father. God knows us as his children. And he knows what we need. And like any good father, he wants to bless us. And he wants us to talk to him regarding whatever we feel. It might even feel like it's childish, but he still wants us to bring it up to him. Don't be afraid to pray. Don't think that your prayers are inadequate. a father just wants to hear their children speak, pray with confidence. Before the time of Jesus, no person, no one person referred to God as Father. But because of Jesus, we can confidently pray to God, to our Father. And also know that as we call him Father, that we are becoming part of a family with everyone else who, God, who, who calls God Father. Any disciple of Jesus is a child of God. And as a child of God, you are a brother or sister to somebody who is also a child of God. Father. Then Jesus said, Hallowed be your name. Before asking God anything, we pray, Hallowed be thy name. That word, Hallowed, is an archaic word. It's an old word. And it basically means, may your name, may you be holy. It's a form of worship and saying that you are worthy, that we praise you. Before anything else that we do, we praise God for who he is. Chrysostom said, the person who would offer worthy prayer to God should ask for nothing before the Father's glory, but should make everything come after the praise of him. We first praise him. And that's why when we start the service, we first sing and praise him. And I think this is part of what Teresa was talking about, about thinking about who we're talking about, that we're thinking about God being our father and the first thing that we say is hallowed be your name because that connects and we just recognize how holy, how wonderful God is and we say may your name be holy. When you actually think about God and your mind is present about how he is your father, when you turn your attention to God, the first thing you are going to want to do is praise him. Thus we say, hallowed be your name. Then Jesus said, your kingdom come. I feel like I've become a little expert on the kingdom. Like whenever I have to write about the kingdom for school, I have plenty in the bank to write about with regards to the kingdom. And we've talked about the kingdom here. You know, we have looked at the entire biblical narrative and seen the kingdom theme developed God wants to rule with humans peacefully upon this world but humans brought chaos and futility there's this Hebrew word tohu vavohu which represents the the chaos that we bring the chaos that God has brought order to but we just brought disorder to the peace that God had brought But God had promised that he would bring peace to this world. A kingdom of peace that he would restore everything. And he does it through Jesus. And Jesus invites us to pray. That the kingdom would come. It has begun to arrive on this earth. But there is still a lot that is missing. Praying that the kingdom comes. Really influences our prayer. In our prayers. We live in the overlap of both heaven and earth. We are caught in between, speaking to God while we are on this earth. There are different views of prayer. We have pantheists, like Buddhists and Hindus, on one side of the spectrum. They think the divine and the earth are the same. Divinity is everywhere, including within myself. So prayer isn't so much addressing someone else, but rather praying for the pantheist is getting in tune with an inner truth and life that are found deep within your heart and the silent rhythms of the world. This might sound nice, but this is not Christian prayer. Then on the other side of the spectrum, we have deists. Deists see God, he, he created the earth, the universe, but he's, he's distant from everything. He's not involved, he's not personal, he doesn't care about us and doesn't listen to us. For the deist, prayer is sending like a, a message in a bottle and just throwing it and it's probably never going to be read. Then we have Christian prayer. And it teaches that there is a distinction between the earth, between self and heaven. But yet heaven and earth are coming together through Jesus. And as those who are in Christ, we stand in between. When we pray, we are standing in the fault line. Christian prayer is about being shaped by Jesus who held heaven and earth. When we pray, your kingdom come. We're saying mold us like Jesus so that we can show the kingdom on this earth. As Jesus did. So that we can present the kingdom as ambassadors of Jesus. We're also praying that just as the disciples experience God's kingdom by experiencing Jesus. We want to have that, a similar experience. Because through Jesus many experience the kingdom by having victory over Satan and his kingdom. And we want that too. We want to have victory over Satan, over, the king, over his kingdom. We want victory over the power of this world. We want victory over sin and death and brokenness. And there is also this end time type of thing. If you read the Bible, towards the end it gives us good news about a beautiful picture of a time when there is no more tears. And we are praying your kingdom come. It means that that time would come when there is no more suffering. That all the destructive kingdoms would be dealt with. And that the perfect man, the son of man, Jesus Christ would rule here on the earth. Your kingdom come. Then Jesus said, give us each day our daily bread. I remember one time, I was part of a prayer meeting back in high school. And the pastor was asking for prayer requests. I lifted my hand and said, I need energy. That was my prayer request. I was feeling really tired and I really wanted God to give me energy. The prayer looked at me, didn't like my request, told me to go buy an energy drink. And he went to the next prayer request. And I get it, you know, that my prayer wasn't that important. But God still wants to hear me ask him for energy. Asking for energy may appear to be A small request. But give us each day our daily bread. Could also be interpreted as a small request. Yet God wants us to ask him to fulfill this request. Sometimes we think that we only speak to God for the big things. That we only ask from him things that appear to be impossible. But no. God also wants us to pray for the small things like food or energy, in my case. Bonhoeffer taught, as long as the disciples are on earth, they should not be ashamed of asking their Heavenly Father for the things they need for their bodily life. I had a great relationship with my parents, and I still do. And I know that they would want me to let them know if I needed anything. You would want your children to tell you. If they needed something. You want to help them. Regardless of how insignificant it might appear. G- Jesus and God. Likewise wants to help. Want to help us. God created humans. He knows what they need. And he wants to provide for us. And sometimes. Sometimes. God even provides things that we don't even ask for just because he's generous. Just like parents who sometimes provide things that the kids never ask for. But parents and God alike, they they like it when children recognize that only they could provide. It feels nice to be asked. And we must recognize that we depend on God for daily sustenance just as children depend on their parents. It's also important to note that Jesus taught us that how we should ask for our daily bread. In this prayer, we're not just asking for our own daily bread, not just for mine, but we're asking for everyone's. We're asking God to give daily bread to all of his children upon this earth. Give us each our daily bread. Then Jesus said, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. We've been talking about discipleship often in the last couple of weeks. It's a big theme within Luke and within the teachings of Jesus. Next week, we'll look at the, the cost of discipleship. But we hear all of these things about discipleship, that we need to leave the old things to follow Jesus As a disciple of Jesus, we need to love as he did. We need to forgive as he did. But note in this prayer that Jesus asked his disciples to pray for forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. The only reason Jesus would tell the disciples to pray for forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins, is if disciples sinned. Let me tell you, disciples, the disciples do sin, and they continue to sin. Christians sin. Disciples are not perfect. They fail. The disciples' daily sorrow is the recognition of their guilt, said Bonhoeffer. They who could live without sin, the disciples in community... With Jesus, sin daily in all sorts of ways. They lack faith, that's one way how disciples sin, are lethargic, are tired at prayer, lack bodily discipline, and give to self-indulgence, envy, hatred, and ambition. They must pray daily for God's forgiveness. Disciples leave everything for Jesus, but they still fall. As they follow Jesus. However disciples don't stay down. They pray for forgiveness. And they will only receive forgiveness. When they forgive each other's guilt. In a loving and willing way. As one scholar said. Jesus grounds the disciples requests for divine forgiveness. And their own practices of extending forgiveness. We are saying to God, look, you have filled us with forgiveness to forgive the sins of others. Now forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Then Jesus said, and lead us not into temptation. Disciples of Jesus don't just want to be forgiven. They don't just want to keep on sinning with the recognition that God would forgive them. No, the disciples want to stop sinning. Thus they pray, lead us not into temptation. They're not saying that God tempts us to do evil. God can't lead us to evil. But we are tempted by the flesh. We are tempted by the devil and by the world. The temptations we face as disciples of Jesus vary. The same problems I'm dealing with, the problems I'm dealing with, are probably not the problems you're dealing with. The reason for that is that Satan knows us personally and knows how to get us. He knows our weaknesses. But we don't want to fall prey to the devil. Therefore, we ask God that we would not be led into temptation. This is the Lord's prayer according to Luke. And I hope you feel a sense of relief that there is a way that Jesus has set up for us to pray. It's not a mysterious thing. It's something we can all do. And this prayer is awesome. It's great. It's it's perfect. So I encourage you guys all to pray now, I want to be very quick. I'm not going to spend too much time. Uh, but I, I just want to share how I usually pray. Just so you, you have some sort of model and maybe you could do your own thing. So how do I usually pray? And I do have some notes. I've included in your notes uh, at least the morning prayer that I usually have. It's behind uh, the, the reading portion. Um, I usually wake up and I pray a psalm. I pray this psalm, Psalm 51, I usually pray it in a different version. I say, open uh, thou my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. So I'm thinking about once my mouth opens, God is opening up my mouth and I'm just ready to praise him. Then I typically pray this other prayer, uh, you God, that, which is another psalm, Psalm 63, 1 through 3. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And so on and so forth. Then I pray this other prayer, which is called the Benedictus, as I welcome Jesus to my prayer. It's Luke 168 through 79. It's about when Jesus is coming, the Christmas story. And I pray that as I get ready for Jesus to come within my prayer, And we won't read it, but it's just a way to welcome Jesus. And then in God's presence, this is where it gets a bit personal. I, I think through the day ahead. These are questions that I ponder and I pray about. I, I think about the work that I will do, the people I will encounter, and I pray about it. The, the dangers or uncertainties I face, the, the possibilities for joy. And acts of kindness. Any particular resolution, like I told myself I was going to do something and I broke it and I need to renew. And we fail always, so there's always resolutions I need to renew. And then I consider things that draw me away from the love of God and neighbor. Is it myself? Is there something that I'm doing that I need to stop? So I could continue to draw from the love of God and continue to love my neighbor. Then I also consider opportunities I will have to know and serve God throughout the day and to grow in virtue. Then I remember those closest to me and all for whom I have agreed to pray for. I conclude by asking God to, for his blessings, his guidance, and strength in all that lies before me. The work in all of this is, this, this is where it changes day by day. Um, and then I collect my thoughts, everything that I pray, and I put it into the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer hints at everything, touch, touches everything. And I usually pray Matthew's version. I say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and so on so, so forth. Then I end with this prayer in the morning. Uh, it's a pretty good prayer. I found it in a book of prayers. Heavenly Father, in you we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray you so to guide and govern us by your holy Spirit, that in all the cares and occupations of our life, we may not forget you but may remember that we are ever walking in your sight through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I conclude with this one verse um, in Corinthians. I conclude my prayer with this one verse, second Corinthians 13:14, and instead of saying "You." I usually say me, I say, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with me today and always. That's usually, I change it up a little bit, but I get it from Paul's writing, 2 Corinthians thirteen, fourteen, And that's my morning prayer. I have prayers that I pray throughout the day. Uh, one prayer that I prayed on a hectic day was, um, was praying, um, hold on. Yes, I was praying Psalm forty six, verse ten. Uh, be still and know that I am God. Like I was super busy that day, I was feeling stressed, and I reminded myself just to be still and know that God's in control. He is God. I was swamped that day, and I just needed to pray that I I needed to remind myself myself that I could be still. And know that God is in control. And these are not in your notes, unfortunately. I couldn't fit them on. And when I prayed this, when I just said, be still and know that I am God. Not talking about myself, but referring to God. I just, I felt a sense of relief. A great sense of relief. At night, my prayer is shorter, typically. Not in the notes, but I, I pray this wonderful prayer. Uh, The Lord Almighty grants us a peaceful night and a perfect end. Amen. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You are in the midst of us, O Lord, and we are called by your name. Do not forsake us. Then I pause and I pray for God's mercy. And I collect my thoughts and again say the Lord's prayer. Then I say this cool phrase. I find it pretty cool. Uh, I just like the rhythm of it. Guide us walking, O Lord, and guard us sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in peace. And that's that. I don't always follow this template, but sometimes I might be more impromptu, but I do like this format. It has worked for me, and I learned it from somebody else, and maybe it could help you as you get started. Maybe you could find some other ways to pray, and that is totally fine. But I hope that you feel some sense of direction. You don't always have to be so hard on yourself. There's nothing wrong with borrowing stuff from other people to help you pray. In fact, there might be actually something wrong if you don't ever want to borrow from other people and just want to do it all by yourself. I think it's fitting today that we end our time with the Lord's Prayer. So if you could join me as we pray uh, the Lord's Prayer and then we'll sing a song and be dismissed. Thank you all for your time. I know it was a bit more lengthy, but uh, it was my first time talking about prayer with Encounter Church, and I did want to present my views. Uh, other times when we talk about prayer, it won't be as lengthy. But anyways, um, Luke eleven two 2 through 4. And again, this is a, different from Matthew's version. We've already talked why. But right there where you are at, just remember, keep your mental activity, present with the words as you pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not and to temptation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May you join us with worship.